So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. Let's talk about your chart. Okay. Yes, my chart. So I worked really hard to adjust my chart. And the chart we're talking about, if you're just tuning in, uh, is the behavioral change chart that I've worked really hard to make sure is not a no-no chart. Wait, my chair is going to squeak. It's not a no-no chart of everything you can't do, kind of. It's more, it's more a, uh, a, well, it's a behavioral change chart, not you need to not eat and exercise a hundred hours a day chart. Right. It's an additive process rather than a removal of fun. Well, I mean, yes, it's 12 weeks and three week blocks. Um, just because three makes me happy. It's a very witchy number. And I guess also Christian-y number, but it was first like a pagan-y number. So. It was the first pagan-y number. It's true. Okay. How do you feel about the changes that you've made and what you've added to it? Like, do you feel like um, you want to move? Huh? Do you feel like you removed all the things you wanted to remove or are we still kind of trying to figure I out? I feel a lot better about this. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, just to, just to sum up <clears throat> in regards to PN and your coaching, focusing on behavioral change versus like positive behavioral change instead of restrictive uh, rules. What would you say? How would you sum that up for everyone listening? I think that's pretty pretty good. I mean, it's rather than trying to remove all of the things that you think are bad out of your life, it's trying to displace them with things that are actually beneficial to you. So it's not that you have to fundamentally never eat ice cream again, but it's that you know maybe you don't want ice cream as often because you're full of so, like so many good things that are health promoting and and good for you. And so it's like not creme about, brulee, like just totally. <laughs> like creme brulee with egg whites and spinach. Oh, <laughs> actually, really yeah. So, I mean, somebody's gonna love it. So it's it's really about trying to find these things that you can generate a routine with without going a hundred percent out of the gate, right? So, you know, typically, and you went through this process of a year ago with starting with overhauling your breakfast so that you're starting your day a little bit better, and then you know, tackling the next meal of the day that you want to tackle and then kind of trying to work at it from that perspective. So you're generating consistency with your positive habits. So that's what we're doing with this chart. And for you particularly, we've talked about this a lot, but it's this idea of calorie control for you has always been such a benchmark like practice that you use that you know you use in a way that doesn't help you because you can find ways to justify calories um, from foods that aren't taking you the direction you want to go because you're hitting this magical number. And so the big task last week was to find a way to build in portion sizes and portion um, sort of, I don't like to use macro splits because it's not exactly what it is, but like, you know, building in the right food choices at each meal so that you can tell if you're on track without tracking calories. So how did that? Yeah. Well, I think you really just hit the nail on the head of what's so scary. It's like tracking, being able to track things without tracking calories um, or whatever you just said was because I'm so scared if I don't track calories, I'm just like, well, I'm never going to make progress and it's going to snowball and it's going to just, you know, all this anxiety. So I've broken up my behavioral change journey into three different sections, nutrition, fitness, and peace. Um, so in regards to, and I, and I did, and I think last week or the week before we talked about being able 
um, even if you have like, a, like, oh, I want to get to this point. What's really important is recognizing along the journey, hey, you know what, I'm not at that point, but I'm still further along than I was when I started. And so on my paper, you know, I just, just so I could visualize it, I put like, there's like a start column and like a where I want to be column because it's obviously not finished. Nothing's finished um, or ended. Um, so I could kind of just visualize, hey, you know what? I'm not t- meditating 20 minutes a day, seven days a week, which is a goal. <laughs> but I am meditating like 10 minutes a day, seven days a week or five days a week, which is better than where I started, which was pretty much nothing. Right. Even though people would ask me, what do you think is the most important thing you could do um, to help yourself? I would say meditation. (laughs) Yet I would literally not make any time or effort. (laughs) Right. And that's the struggle is like knowing and doing. Right. We talk about that a lot is the difference. between I know I need to do this thing, but then actually making it materialize in your day and setting expectations for how much effect it's going to have on you based on how much of it you actually do. Because I think this is the I'll change. And I, I know we've talked about this in previous podcasts as well, but the idea is like, yes, you want to celebrate small t- change because it's important to like learn to celebrate now with these small changes and small improvements that you're making, but also set your expectations correctly for what kind of change that's going to manifest in your life. You know, it's, it's like if you were eating zero portions of vegetables at the start and you start eating one, it's not necessarily realistic to expect to start dropping weight, you know, super fast and be losing multiple pounds a week. Like you made a positive change, but you may not have tipped the balance enough to start seeing change in the directions you want. That doesn't mean you should stop or that what you're doing isn't working. It just means that there may be more necessary to get where you want to go. And that often stops people, right? We've seen that before with you as well in some situations where, you know, you'll make a few changes and think, well, fuck it. Like what I do all this for. Yeah. (laughs) It it kind of feels like that. It kind of feels like, well, I'm pondering why. And I think I I hope some people out there can relate to me, like why you make the decision to not make time and effort towards things that you that you proselytize are very, very important to you. And I'm thinking, well, if it's important to me, then it's almost like, well, if I, if I make an effort and fail, it's so upsetting, so painful. So it's like, I'll shame myself because if I, if I do other things that are not nearly as important, I'm like, well, whatever. But if it's something where I'm like, this is actually very, very important. And then I try and then I quote unquote fail, whatever that means then it's like, oh, see, loser. Yeah, and that's just a a reinforcement of a pattern for you, Mm -hmm. right? Of setting expectations to the point where you either can't achieve them because they're unrealistic or setting them at a point where no matter what you actually do, you manage to find a way to say that it wasn't good enough. And that's just, that's a a habit (laughs) loop that you're working on. Yeah. And that's why I think this chart for me is so helpful and important because it's, it's giving me a way to track exactly what you said, like, hey, you know, you don't have to be at your finish line to still be having made tremendous improvements and you're working towards what you want to, where you want to go. And that's the thing to celebrate, not, not staying at the place that's not making you happy or fulfilling. Well, I think it's really really hard as well to buck the trend in health and fitness, which is like set a goal and then smash it. You've got 12 (laughs) weeks to a new you. And if you don't 12 weeks tread. Yeah. And I think that that's really ingrained in people is like this idea. I'm I'm super motivated. I'm going to take this task on. I'm going to change everything. And then what happens is you get three or four weeks in and things start to slide and you're like, oh, well, I think it's important to remember there's no deadline here, right? For positive steps towards what you want there's no deadline you always get your next life anyway in my hope so i'm so (laughs) that's my opinion hoping to be a cat but oh my god well it's it's definitely a matter of like recognizing that it's a big experiment and you have more time to keep changing things it doesn't have to be 
fail. It's more like, oh, that's some interesting feedback. I went to my uncle's house this weekend and I ate an entire cheesecake when I came home. Hmm, seems like I have some issues with him. Maybe I should I check might be, <laughs> I might be triggered by something. Versus huh. like, why did I eat that cheesecake? I'm such a loser. Like, how come I can't get this under control? I've blown my 12-week plan out. It's like, it's more like, mm. wow, that's an interesting piece of information I need to figure out. And I yeah. think that different approach to it can sort of start to reprogram that habit. And you've worked really hard mm. on that too. You know, we've seen lots of situations where you come up, come in for the week and you're like, oh, okay, so this happened. And I think here's why. And so then you can make a plan, right? But it's like, you can't run an experiment if you don't have a hypothesis. You have yes. to have a hypothesis to start with. And then yeah, you because otherwise, what are you, what are you even doing? Right. <laughs> right? Be a scientist. And I'm literally watching my sister put her baby down right now. And she's doing like the greatest experiment of all time, which is I have a new human. I have no control over its needs or wants. It's a complete surprise every minute of the day. Let's see what works. And it's just a process of of iterating and and trying and and thing with babies is the target, right? So, you know, they're, they're going to, what worked yesterday isn't necessarily going to work tomorrow. Babies aren't robots. And also we are not robots. Totally. That's a really good way to put it. Even though, even though in America and I'm sure other, definitely other cultures, they want to treat you like you're a robot and you can just put aside everything about being a human and work your eight hours a day sitting on your ass and being miserable. I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience, not, (laughs) I'm sure some people are very happy. Good for you. (laughs) I mean I think that's a really good way to put it we're not robots and yet we make these robotic plans we're supposed to follow when we want to make change and it just never works especially in health and fitness especially I'm sure that there are people out there listening going well it worked for me and I'm sure it does for a period of time but again it's like it's does it pass the am I going to be doing this when I'm 80 test you know if you're if you're making health and fitness changes that are not sustainable until you reach, you know, a reasonably old age, then at some point you're going to have to change them anyway. Right. You know, and I'm a great example. I can't work out the way I could when I was 25. If I tried, I would just keep breaking things. So I have, you know, a choice. I can adapt and find other ways to do things or I can quit. Mm. Quitting doesn't get me what I need either. So it's sort of like this idea that you're, you can't stay fixed in any of your habits. They have to be flexible for you to maintain them anyway. And so if you don't have a good framework in place, you don't have, you know, something that you can consistently fall back on. It becomes increasingly difficult to maintain mm-hmm. it when new challenges arise, like new oh, babies yeah. or parents needing care or a loved one getting sick or any of life's challenges, a major accident, a move, you know, these are things that disrupt a pandemic, a pandemic, a upcoming election, which makes you want to live in the woods out of fear and anxiety. (laughs) It's funny because I'm actually sitting in the woods right now, which is great because it is a very tranquil place to be. It's a really nice feeling. How does it feel? Being there right now compared to being in LA. It's funny. I think it's made me realize just how finished I am in LA. Like not, you know. We just talked about not being finished. You're not, you're not finished. <laughs> but it's, again, it's, it's about transition, you know. I, yeah. I've done the things I feel I want to do in that particular environment. Time, time to move on. Definitely ready for something else. So, and that's, that's a heck yeah that's life dude because it doesn't stay the same and if you try to force it to stay the same or you try to behave like a robot at some point you know that's not gonna you gotta do software updates software updates (laughs) (laughs) yes get those bugs out right you don't do the software updates your machine just suddenly can't keep up and other people are doing stuff your your machine can't do and the more, so, it's like, you know, the Frankenstein computers, you just keep updating the software and adding code and adding code. There's bound to be more things that go wrong. Oh, I feel yeah. like, like this is the perfect metaphor for this situation. Good job. I like that one. <laughs> because otherwise, like, you know, you, you become obsolete and you see this happen to people, you know, when they pass a certain age and it's different for everybody, but they just give up on trying to keep up. Like, yeah. Ah, 
I can't keep up with all this stuff. And it's like, but well, then there's like a weird, I don't know if it's like, cause I've seen stuff where I thought I recognized it as shame. Like, well, I can't keep up anymore. Or maybe it's like actual peace. Like I don't want to, nor do I feel the, I just don't feel the need to, that looks awful. I mean, also I was a teenager who was like, just leave me alone. You damn kids stop playing your loud music and leave me alone. So, I mean, I've always been like an 80 year old. Great. I mean, it makes, my husband's always been 60. So I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get the kids and their loud music and their partying. He never did either. I think, I think it's just about finding that thing that works now and remaining open to it changing. There's not one way to do Mm. it. You know, and I think that gets people too. And this is why there are diet tribes. And you see, again, in health and fitness, you see so much like fanaticism towards one methodology. You know, I can't remember when I'm going to use orange. Keto. Not even diet stuff. Diet stuff we can go on for days. But like, if you look at things like orange theory, when they came out or all the spin studios, like soul cycle and all of these things, it was like, they were this craze. But nobody sustained it. And the people that run these businesses know that they're finite. They know because the mm. people who run the new trends, like will run those places for a little while and they get out and they open something new. And there, I literally went to a seminar. I'm not sure if it was the conference you were at with me or not, but it was, it was actually, there are people who specialize in this. Wait, no, we did. I recall we, I think this was the one where they were talking about the trends in health and fitness. And they were talking about orange theory, and all sorts of like these trending. Well, it looks like personal hell to me, because basically, it's like, let's ha- try to have a rave with no alcohol and sweating <laughs> and bicycles. Yeah, and I, I first of all, that. hate raves and clubs. So I don't want to work out in a fucking club. That sounds like hell, yeah. you know? No, but I mean, some people love it. A lot of people and that drives a, a whole demographic. And she talked a lot about how they were like doing these pop-up gyms. Remember she was like, we get a storage container oh, yeah. and we fill it with equipment or whatever. And we like send out a push notification over a platform where people are paying attention to this and like people line up, like it's some kind of exclusive event. She says it's working all over the world. Remember this? I remember being blown away by that. Like, wow, what what people will do to follow a trend. And it's, I mean, Mm -hmm. no surprise, right? It's no, I'm not. And if people are consistently, I don't know about, I don't know how you feel about this, but if people, I guess, are consistently following a fitness trend, but they're consistent about it. So they're always doing like different kinds of classes and movements. I mean, I don't know how that works trajectory wise for what they want to improve on, but well, interesting. that's better than sitting on the couch, I guess. Interestingly enough, that's actually good because one of the downsides of rigid routine when it comes to your, your fitness is you develop imbalances or you overtrain mm. something if you're constantly doing the same thing. This is the whole premise behind CrossFit was constantly varied functional movement. Mm. And I mean, that's the point. And then they got grooved into certain movements and now you go to a CrossFit class and you it's all the same. likely, and there are exceptions to this, obviously there are great CrossFit boxes and there are mediocre ones. And then there are bad ones, just like anything. But, you know, you you see this real consistency in programming. You see lots of reps. You see lots of intensity. You don't get a lot of the metabolic conditioning on a lower end that you need. You don't get any of the, you know, heart rate maintenance or, you know, cardiovascular duration work, which is supposed to be part of CrossFit. And they did address it a couple of years ago at the games. They did that whole endurance event and it jacked everybody up. It was great to watch. But on the whole, it's now known for hardcore gymnastics moves, heavy lifts, Olympic lifts, and vomiting. You know, I mean, really. <laughs> so I am a CrossFit coach, so I get to say this stuff from experience. And looking jacked as fuck and claiming, like, at the top, top, top level people who compete, claiming that you're non-steroids, even though right. you clearly are cycling right. them. You look at group exercise as a, a host of different classes and modalities. And actually, if you're one of the people who bounces around to different classes, you're probably getting a more rounded fitness experience than somebody who yeah. adheres one dogmatically. Yeah. But you are also not necessarily achieving a specific fitness goal. 
right? You want a targeted program. If you're going to try to achieve a specific fitness goal, you want to, you Mm -hmm. want to deadlift more. You need to be working on deadlift progressions and accessory work for deadlifts and core strength and all the other things that go along with that. Like that's a specific type of training. If you have a specific goal you want to achieve, but it's not going to make you a better runner. Yeah. But if your goal and your goal can be as simple as I just want to move my body in a structured way for an hour a day. Yeah. Beautiful goal. That is a freaking beautiful goal. Cause I'm like, you want to go for a walk, go for a walk. You want to lift some weights. What, you know, do that. Like want to run around in the yard, like screaming and dancing. Just don't do it if you're my neighbor. And (laughs) unless you're like, unless you're like, you can sing something pleasant. And I think this is a big difference. You know, when I tell people I'm a personal trainer or whatever, they immediately have this assumption about what I do to stay in shape or like what kind of exercise I do. And it's, it's, you know, I recognize that now in time I might be the exception, but I don't think it's going to continue this way because the reality is it's so freeing to not be constrained to, I have to go to the gym and do this specific series of exercises Mm. in order and you've had this experience too. And, and most of my other clients, when they're like, oh, exercise, oh, I hate it. Or, oh, it's always so hard or terrible. It's like, well, find something you like to do and do that. That's, I mean, you just need to move more. Yeah. Actually, Precision Nutrition put out this really cool graph on, I think it was I saw on, that. You see that about? It was like, great. Yeah. I wish we could, we should probably post that somewhere. We'll post it. My website. I mean, yeah, we can post it on the um, on the Facebook page for deconstructing yeah. health and fitness. Everyone should like that page. And um, basically, the graph was uh, was like how we became so sedentary. Yeah. Like what happened? What were the what were the things like like a washing machine and dishwasher? And then all of a sudden it's like the internet and it's like, oh, I'm just not <laughs> I know. I'm just like, gonna sit there and watch YouTube videos for the rest of my life. And I don't know if anyone else has done this, but I will like before I would go to the gym, I would try to like pump myself up by actually watching like the hardcore cro- hardcore crossfitters do their like daily routine, like looking yeah. jacked as balls and just feel like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that works. This is the thing, you know, you can, you can use all these techniques and tools to your advantage, or they can take you down, you know, and it's like, there is no one way to do it, I think is what we're, we're driving at. But there's the one way to do it. You need to to do it. You need to watch the 80s montage trainings, like from the Karate Kid and Uh, from Rocky. Well, Rocky's the 70s. But you know what I mean? You need to watch those 80s training montages because nothing will get you more excited to work out. Right. I mean, it's like, but for some people that totally works or a song will work or, you know, maybe it's like a specific I don't know. There's a thousand ways to do this to hype yourself up to do what you need to do. Sometimes it's a specific warm up that you do that gets you going, you know, and it's, or I don't know. I've seen so many different options. It's and just also, you've that, helped me a lot because I always was like, well, I have to get hyped up in order to have the motivation to work out. And then, you know, through your coaching and through PN under uh, behavioral change understanding. I'm like, oh, I, I, oh, I don't need to get like super excited and motivated every time I need to work out. Like I could just, I could just get up and be like, well, I don't want to fucking do this, but I'm still going to do it. And yeah. I'm like, that's an option. <laughs> it was almost yeah. like, oh, I didn't know that was an option. I thought I had to get like really excited and motivated and I, I had mean, to depend on motivation, which we know is really, really finite. Well, it's bleeding. So it's not, it's not stable. So what happens is, you know, you wake up one day, you're feeling like you're going to crush it. And then, you know, the next day you wake up and you're like, uh, I'm sore and I don't want to do this. And then if you're relying on motivation, chances are you're going to not keep it up. Right. But if you, for example, you start taking a class with a friend and your friend is expecting you to show up and you've paid for the class, even if you're sore, you're likely to go because you've got these other accountability measures in place. And that's the trick, right? Is you don't do it alone. Nobody does it alone. I mean, again, like 1% of the population can crush this alone and that's great. Um, but if you're not that 1% of the population, then there are lots of other options. And I think that's the whole point is it's 
fitness is currently fitness marketing and nutrition marketing are always trying to put you in a corner, you know, like everybody's trying to put baby in a corner, (laughs) (laughs) but it doesn't have to be that way. That's their method of funneling you into their system by telling you other things don't work. And that's dangerous because there's no control over it. There's no control over the validity or the effectiveness of what people are selling. And and there's also, even when we get onto another level, there's no FDA control or regulation of supplements. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't even know what you're taking most of the time. I take 100 branch chain amino acids every day. And then I wash that down with some creatine. And then (laughs) I just have like, I just liquefy like eggs and chicken breasts. And I gulp that down and then I vomit. And then I binge on a cheesecake. I mean, exactly. That's perfect. So it's sort of... It's this idea that like the, the most of the time when people come to a coach for help they they want somebody to just tell them what to do. They want the answers, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately, because we're not robots, there is no manual that you can read and just get all the answers out of it. Like you have to do the experiments. You have to put the time in, you have to do the work to get what you want out of the machine that you run because they're not all exactly the same. Truer words have never been spoken. And when I first came to you, I was completely like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Here are my buttons. Now just program me. Like I thought, I literally thought because I had collected so much data that I would just show you, hey, look, here's my, here's my food journal, my food log. Here's what I do for exercise. Now you're going to be like, oh, see that one thing that you're doing? See, that's what's keeping you from getting the results. And I'm going to be like, oh my God. And then just all completely fixed. No problem. Nothing about behavioral change or how emotions interact with your choices and your behaviors. And right. (laughs) I really thought that was going to be, it was going to be that easy. (laughs) We all want that. I don't think it's in any way unreasonable to want that, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's effective and marketers know this and capitalize on it. Oh Yeah. They always give you the solution. And you should be very wary when you see that. When somebody's coming to you with like, this is what's going to work for you. Everything else has failed, but not this. Like, dude, big red flags, right? That should be big red flags at this the point. Dieting, as a professional marketing person, like, it's just so disgusting to see. Now that I'm like, I've been working with you for so long and getting my NASM certification. So like having a little bit more understanding than I used to about health and nutrition and marketing, and then working in the actual field of marketing to see the, the way uh, I got to put in quotations, like health and nutrition mm. is being marketed is so absolutely atrocious and despicable. Yeah, it's just exactly. It is irresponsible. And people like the fucking, I'm just going to call them out again, the Kardashians with their diarrhea tea and their waist trainers and their absolute bullshit. It's called plastic surgery, idiots. Sorry, not to the audience, but to people who think that that's natural. Yeah. I mean, and the, the reality is that, you know, these devices have, exi- have existed for a really long time. Yeah. It's not new. People have been looking for something to solve their their discomfort and their unhappiness for all time. You know, you can look yeah. back at the history of dieting through time, and it's quite fascinating what people were willing to do. Even back as far as the 1600s, you can find mm, you know, really of dieting. Yeah, really, because sure. I guess the idea is the the idea is almost like well well no 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 only until we got our modern uh, amenities did we ever have a problem with taking more calories than we were spending so really back in the 1600s people well when you look at the wealthy classes yeah well the wealthy not the people who are who are dying on the street and starving no. which is still a thing which is still That's a thing the wealthy are you know but it's it's weird because back back then it's like the people like the the lay people the like the workers they were you know not very well fed or cared for and didn't have obviously tons of excess food and whatnot and then the wealthy just had more than they could ever need 
And then nowadays, variety of food that was not accessible to the peasantry. And so actually what you saw was a huge amount of nutrient deficiencies in the peasant groups. And maybe they were overweight. Maybe they weren't lacking calories sometimes. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was nutrient deficiencies that were causing problems. And And this is the same thing today. As I say, this is a huge disconnect with food. And this is why to bring it back to what we were talking about at the beginning, this idea of calorie counting can be detrimental. It can work. And obviously the laws of thermodynamics are immutable and energy is neither gained nor lost. Okay. I'm not saying that calories don't matter. I'm saying that our ability to track them and accurately assess how many of them we're taking in and expending um, is really not great. And therefore it's not a valid system of measurement. Even if you have the most fancy, most expensive caloric measurement device. Yes. Yes, because we're still, as far as I know anyway, we're still using a bomb calorimeter to decide how many calories are in foods. And that means you basically light food on fire and see how long it burns for, which is not how your body processes food. I mean, I don't know if anybody really thinks that we have a furnace that burns calories, like literally actually burns them. And it's funny because when you think about exercise, we talk about it in terms of burning calories. No, now I'm, I'm like sitting here like, well, wait, don't we have a furnace? Aren't we? No, we have a chemical process. We use a chemical process to break down food. So it's not fire. I guess I just consider, well, I still consider that, I guess, because it, it, it takes energy. So it's heat. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's, we're talking in, you know, absolute terms of what energy is. It's heat, electricity, you know, these, these fundamentals, but you're not actually burning food. You're not burning calories. You're consuming or using them. So using things like fire as if that were the human digestive system is probably not, that probably really doesn't make much sense. Like, wow, actually that is really mind blowing. I'm like, oh. I mean, I would say it's not that impactful on the whole but it is an interesting turn of phrase we've developed to talk about burn calories burn them feel the burn i'm burning calories like you're not you're literally not burning anything you're expending or consuming energy but you know let's be honest there's no fire okay so and and again you know Figuring out the chemical process of how we digest our food has been a very long, complex set of, you know, sciences working on this, you know, so it's not, it's not straightforward in the sense of, oh, I put this hot dog in, I get this amount of calories and this amount of protein, and then whatever's left of the hot dog comes back out. Like, that's just not, it's just not that simple. And it's not the same from person to person. And when we assume that it is, we have problems. So we have problems on both ends of the, the spectrum. We have problems on the end of, you know, bomb calorimeters are not that accurate. There's a large percentage of error in how many calories they find in a food. So there's an error over on this side. I think it's 5% on that side. And then I think it goes to when they're doing the bomb calorimeter calculations, portions are not always exactly the same. And then if you put, a, if, let's say you nail the portions on your bomb calorimeter experiment and you get a consistent number of calories out of food each time, then you go to packaging. So, all right, I know that um, a hamburger patty has 110 calories in it if it has 85% lean beef, right? But then you go to like a fast food chain and they're going to take that number and slap it on their beef, which is not made of 100% beef, but they're not required to disclose a certain amount of, you know, fillers or whatever under a certain percentage. So now you've changed the fundamental equation of how many calories are in that thing. And they don't have to tell you. And they're also not counting in the cooking oil that they might use. And they're not counting in the fat content of the meat necessarily. And so now you've got a Maybe all the condiments. Right. Well, but I'm just talking about the patty, Never mind the condiments and the bread and all the other things that are somewhat portion controlled, but not a hundred percent. You've got a plus minus of 20%. Wow. Which is pretty big. Which is pretty big. So now you're looking at almost a quarter either direction from just that end. And then we take it in. And now we have to figure out like, what's your gut biome look like? How well are you digesting? How long does food stay in your system? How able is your body to extract the nutrients from the foods that you're taking in? You can't quantify that. 
unless we're going to like have you poop in a jar and have everybody get their poop studied for their specific bacteria count. And then we can tell you, okay, you have this many of this bacteria, but guess what? That's a moving target because based on the foods you consume, your bacterial population changes. So it's like, fine. You want to count calories? Awesome. But you better be able to do all of those math steps in between to get it really genuinely accurate. So since that was just terrifying, like the thought of it, you, so if someone was like, well, wait, but well, what do I do then? Right. But this is where it comes back to rather than looking at mo- like modes of energy or nodules of energy we're consuming, we need to be looking at quality of nutrients and quantity of whole foods we're getting. And then just overall quantity of food. I mean, we don't need to know how many calories are in something to know if whether we're gaining weight or losing weight based on how much we're eating. We can track our food. We can see what kind of portions we're keeping in. This is why macro counting works is because you're generating an incredibly consistent intake of calories, which means you're managing one of the factors, right? If you literally eat nothing outside of a meal plan, you're you're controlling a certain percentage of that equation. Yeah. Or if you like, if you're a robot. Right. If you're weighing and measuring all of your food going in, you are Mm -hmm. ultimately controlling that equation. And then you can see what the results are. You have enough control, but that doesn't mean you know exactly how many calories you're taking in. Yeah. And a lot of people won't be able to, I mean, I feel like I could do that for so long before I'm just like going crazy and be like, screw this. Yeah. And then coming back and being like, oh, I hate myself. Yeah. And I mean, it's an interesting experiment to run for a little while so you can get a feel for how much you're actually eating. I'm not saying that food tracking or, you know, tracking your portions is not good. I'm saying that getting hung up on that caloric number is the problem. Yeah. Or if it, I, I for like three months, subscribe to that idea of if it fits your macros. Right. I can eat this donut because I have this much fat and this this many carbs left and, you know. And <laughs> Again, I mean, yes. Again, you can yeah. lose weight by reducing the number of calories you take in and expending more calories. But that does not mean you're doing it in a way that's promoting your health, okay? Yeah. Like you can lose weight on Twinkies. Like you want to lose weight on Twinkies? We can do that. But it doesn't mean you're actually doing your body a lot of good. Yeah. I mean, you can, lo- you can lose weight on cigarettes. Yes. Which is for a really long time, (laughs) you know, and and it's, it's like, yes, these things achieve weight loss, but weight loss is the only goal. Then please go buy one of those plastic bag suits and run around and sweat and dehydrate yourself and call it weight loss. Go ahead. If that's the only goal, but we're talking about body composition change and healthy body mass reduction. And yeah. those require adequate nutrient intake and they require yeah. good quality movement that's improving your quality of life, not lowering it, you know, and it, it requires good quality sleep and sleep good, good mental health. You know, yes. these are the components. And if, if you're really fundamentally out of whack on one of them, then that's where you probably should spend some time because that's where you're going to see the biggest reward. Back to my chart, that's why peace is there. And that's why my where I want to be, it says 20 minutes of meditation seven days a week, which is a hefty goal. It really is. And so I'm starting out, I'm breaking it up to five minutes of meditation a day. And I did that today. And I feel pretty confident because it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect meditation where I'm in the optimal position and I, you know, this and that. As long as I'm making that effort yet, huh? You haven't achieved enlightenment yet. I haven't achieved achieved enlightenment yet, but I do feel less enraged right now, which is good because I have many rage attacks. Yes, and this is a fundamental reason why quieting your mind is such a priority for you, right? And we and going within, going within, and. Oh, did your sound turn off? No. Can you still hear me? Yeah. I got something coming in. I'm trying to turn my notifications off again because something still came in. So I turned it off there. Hopefully that'll do it. So yes, just being able to 
And I think this is a big part of precision nutrition. It's like being able, I know there's an exercise, like sit with it. Like if I'm sitting here, like I've been craving carrot cakes so hard, (laughs) so hard. And if I could just like sit here for five minutes and breathe, you know, who knows what might change for me if I... You know, and I think that's a really important thing. It's this hunger is not an emergency. Cravings are not emergencies, but you do need to respond if it's if it's persistent. Right. If your hunger is genuine, eat. What about your cravings? Well, and that sometimes it's interesting cravings because, you know, there's one camp that would argue that you have cravings for a specific reason because you're, you're craving a specific nutrient. So take a look at what food you're craving and figure out why you're craving that. Carrot is it because you're craving carrots? Is it because I've been eating a lot of carrots? I still want carrot cake with the okay. cream cheese frosting, cream cheese ah. frosting, or nothing. So funny because the other camp would say cravings are simply a psychological production of, of you know your emotional needs, right? So for you, you get to decide which one is which at what time. But if we if we think a little bit about what you've said in the past about creamy things, creamy things are the biggest food hug for you, yeah. right? We've got already, you know, this is like a poster on your wall is like creamy things equal hugs. And so yeah. for you, if you, if it's not creamy, get out. Right. If you pinpoint what it is you're craving about that cheese or not cheesecake, but see like, you know, like cream cheese frosting, frosting. Okay. So now you can decide now you can be like, okay, now I know what it is I'm craving. Why do I want a food hug? Do I really need one? And how can I address this need in a way that satisfies it? but doesn't do me a lot of damage. I've been trying to get to that place. Or do I sit with it and and just say, this is not actually something I need and fight that out with myself. That's what I get concerned about. um, Because, you know, I've been craving it for days and days. And this idea of like, well, if I just obsessively am craving it and don't give myself any then I'm going to binge or something. Possible. And you have to, that's the job, right? That's the management job of figuring out, you know, which way is it going to go? If you feel yourself working up to a binge, then you better do something about it before it goes too far. If you feel like it's like, no, this is going to go away and I can solve it with something else, then address the need. You know, again, I'm going to use babies as an example. Sometimes they fuss because they fuss. Sometimes they're not going to stop fussing because they actually have a need and you just have to take the time to figure out what it is. And so you're you're still the same. You still have these needs. And just because you don't immediately recognize what one is, doesn't mean you can't figure it out. You have to put the time and effort in to do it. So you have to ask yourself that, like what really is driving this cheesecake craving is, or not cheesecake. Apparently I want cheesecake. (laughs) You want cheesecake. (laughs) There is cheesecake in the fridge right now. So that's like regular or a special kind from Trader Joe's. Um, Yeah. I didn't even make it this time, which is dumb, but whatever. It's fine. I did buy, I was at Target yesterday because I wanted to get some like Halloween decorations. I needed to get some food. You know, it's a super Target. And I did buy these Werther's caramel apple soft caramels Mm -hmm. because I feel like unlike chocolate it's not something I'm going to binge on and be like I'll have 18 of these right now um I can just kind of enjoy a couple of them Mm -hmm. and god I kind of and then I bought some Asian pears because I'm like well those look good and so I'm kind of thinking about making like an Asian pear using that caramel Oh. Apple melting that down a little bit. And what else was I going to do? Something. Some cream on it? Some, yeah, I did buy some organic <laughs> whipped whipped cream, like heavy, heavy cream that I'm going to whip. But <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I just bought like a thing of whipped cream. And I'm like, is the, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying right. to... Like I'm there with, I'm sure a lot of people where it's like, well, I want to like have like a really awesome dessert and I'm going to make it myself. 
but I also need some, some healthy components in there. And then it's right. kind of like, well, the, will that make me feel like, oh, you can just eat a lot of it because you made it yourself. And there you have the, your Asian pears in it. So it's not like it's, you know, that bad. Well, okay. That's a rabbit hole, isn't it? Because if you, if you take dessert and you use it to justify eating more of the dessert, then you're probably not going to stay underneath the calorie intake that you want or the portion no. control that you want. Right. So it's balancing those two sides of it. Yeah. You, you can have a treat. Like that's the point. Um, the, but if it's not a treat and if it's a, it's a large component of your intake, then, and you find yourself playing mental gymnastics with it like that, then chances are that something else is going on there. Well, it's fall. <laughs> it's fall. It's time for hugga. It's time for pumpkin spice. It's time for comforting, yummy, warm desserts that make yeah. you feel happy and joyous and for feeling cozy and being with family. And it's also so how can you how can you work these things into your regular routine? Because you can have those things, right? I mean, literally, it's funny because I'm in New England for fall, which is awesome. Mm. And it's crispy and cold outside. And so mm -hmm. last night I roasted a bunch of Brussels sprouts and then I roasted a cauliflower and some potatoes. And I did this like pork loin thing with this fig sauce. And I was like, damn. This damn. Is and I had butternut squash soup for lunch. And then we made an apple crumble for dessert. And it was my sister's birthday this last weekend. Um, having born. And so we didn't manage to make a cheesecake surprise, but I got the pumpkin cheesecake from Trader Joe's. And so we had this like super fall festival. But if you look at the overall nutrient content and like healthy, healthful food content of that, I got all of the fall I could possibly muster into one day, <laughs> but I also hit my nutrition goals. Yeah. So it, that's the way to look at it because it's still for you. Sometimes I think it's this idea of like, but I want these things. I can't have them. Therefore I want them more because they're bad. There's this idea of, of bad and what the, whatever you want is bad. Yeah. If you way. feel satisfied at all, you're not doing something right. Right. Like that's and how that's, it feels. That's really troublesome because that means that that kicks those cravings up even harder because you're God. holding back. I don't know how many times we have to talk about this, but it's like, again, it's so sad. It's like rehashing this deep-seated belief I have. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. It's like, if I'm not suffering actively and feeling um, feeling hungry and deprived, I'm obviously not making progress. Right. And that's once we break through that, I think you're going to start to see the fast progress that you want because it's this constant, you're constantly stepping on the brake and the gas pedal at the same time. <laughs> that sounds so like me. <laughs> you're like, it's so depressing. And it's, like, <laughs> and it's like, well, okay. Like allow yourself to have the fall. There are a thousand ways to have fall. You can have all the fall you want. I mean, literally like, you can go to Starbucks and get a pumpkin spice latte, Ew. but do it in a way. I know maybe I think they're gross, but for some people, that's like the end all be all of the thing, but you don't need four pumps of syrup. No, in your 12 ounce cup, you know, like you can no, get, the pumpkin especially syrup. since it's not even really good syrup. It's not like, Oh, this, this shit is like good. No, it tastes artificial. As fuck. Right. So the other option is make a pumpkin spice latte of your own at home. Oh, yeah. Except don't add cloves. In my or, opinion, cloves ruin coffee. Cloves ruin coffee. But again, I mean, the thing is, is looking into these options of like, okay, the craving is carrot cake. Mm. Right? Why? Oh, I have okay. my carrot cake oatmeal and it's right. not doing it. I want the goddamn cheese, cream cheese. It's a fucking cheese, cream cheese frosting with the carrot cake. I want that. Okay. Well, maybe you get to have a slice of that. Yes. Maybe I, and that's the thing. Cause it's like, if I had a piece of, if I had like a carrot cake, I wouldn't be like, well, you could have as many slices as you want because you know, I mean, I guess you could be like carrots are healthy and there's nuts in there and that's good. But <laughs> if I make my own. Huh? Yeah, the risk is bringing up a really unpopular character. I'm going to do it because there's this scene. It's Bill Cosby. Is it Trump? 
No, it was, it's no. Bill Cosby. We're not even going to talk about Trump. There's just, <laughs> but like Bill Cosby hundreds of years ago, I think now did this whole comedy sketch about being a dad and his wife was sleeping and the kids got up and he had snuck downstairs or something and he was in the fridge and all the kids are up and they're like, dad, I want breakfast. And he was like, uh, I don't know. And long story short, he ends up making them a chocolate cake for breakfast or there was chocolate cake in the fridge. And he was like, eggs, eggs are in chocolate cake. Milk, milk is good. Milk is in chocolate cake. This is a perfect breakfast. And he goes through this whole thing and it's ridiculous. It's hysterical because this guy is justifying this terrible dietary choice for his children's breakfast by like picking out components and saying, this is healthy. And that's the temptation with something like a health, a quote in quotations, healthy dessert or a dessert with fruit in it. It's like, well, it's yeah. healthy. Well, okay. It's better than a Twinkie probably, <laughs> but it's not healthy still. It's still calorically dense with nutrients and and, and eating a ton of it is probably gonna detract so that's that's almost god there's something because I will make these like very healthy nutritiously dense dishes and then I feel like I'll just you know you're I'll just add a lot of cheese or something. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, no, I've, I'm much more conscientious of my cheese addition. But okay, so the other day, Andrew and I made bolognese and with like the lean ground beef and whatnot. And um, I got some burrata, burrata, and um, which is basically mozzarella with a bunch of cream in the middle. And they come in, they comes in like this pack and you, you have like two and I ate both that day. Right. But I also like skipped lunch. And to me, I was like, I, what, when I had my second bowl, I was like, well, I am still kind of hungry, but I was like, but I didn't eat lunch. So I definitely need more of this. Right. And that's the, that's the internal monologue you've got to watch for. We've talked about that too, is this idea, this justification of not doing the thing, you know, you should do, or the thing you have the idea you should do. Let's put it that way. Right. Because if you said to yourself, like, I've had this big bowl of this and it was amazing and I made it and I got my creaminess, but I would like some more. I know I probably don't need any more, but I'm going to look for a way to justify this and do it anyway. And that's, I mean, dude, like I have a 10 year old. Okay. Like you want to talk about finding ways to justify things you want to do the, the verbal and mental gymnastics. I watch my 10 year old achieve to convince me of her crazy flawed logic on things is really, really, ex- it's, it's amazing. Well, we're seeing out on a, gl- on a global level right now from a certain leaders, you know, like the mental gymnastics. And I love that term. And it's, you know, we're all very good at it, but you don't yeah. see children. And I love using kids for this because you get to really watch the evolution <laughs> of a person through watching a kid, you know, and we're all still that same kid inside. I don't think anything fundamentally changes. We just yeah. learn tools and techniques or coping mechanisms or whatever you want to call it to deal with the things that come at us in life. And some of them are useful and some of them are not. And we have to try to work hard to change the things we feel are really detrimental to us you know so I wish we could just have a character like I wish I could have you and carry you around and like when I want to make it when I'm making a decision I'll be like hey Chris is this bullshit or is this like okay like is this the the food priest thing again which you hate (laughs) let's be real who is the best expert on you me okay so I could be there but I'm not you you know you better and you're the best person to call you out on your bullshit. I know. God damn. I don't want to do that though. <laughs> no, I love calling myself out on my bullshit, but then I will end up going into analysis paralysis and then just be like, oh my God, everything. Right. And that's, you know, that's a challenge because it, it does seem like you, you do like to find ways to corner yourself. And I think this whole idea of freeing, freeing you from the tyranny of you is really important. <laughs> I am not a dictator. 
Oh my God, that goes on the wall. Can you put that on on the wall, please? Because I am not the dictator of myself. I mean, you are though. So that's, I mean, you are, but you don't have to be a dick to be a dictator. Right. You can be a benevolent dictator. That's what Chris says all the time. Dictator. Benevolent dictator at this point. Come along and make the right choices for us. That'd be great. But you know, that doesn't exist. So, I mean, maybe it does. Maybe we okay. Star Trek. If we could just get to Star Trek, where the Federation controls <sighs> everything, it'd be great. Well, I mean, did you see Picard? No, God, I haven't seen it yet. We'll okay, well then I we'll talk after you see it. Oh, okay. You know what I saw this morning that I thought was really awesome on Facebook? I think it was my friend from like my best friend from childhood who posted this, and I it was such an I don't even know why it was such an epiphany, but it it, it hit me so hard. I should have just shared it, but it was um another Star Trek character. I think it's going to become apparent by the end of this conversation that Star Trek was a formative experience for me in my life, but, um, which one, which, uh, not the original, the next generation, the next generation is pretty freaking magical, but it was, um, the post was something along the lines of like, we celebrate Mr. Rogers and somebody else, but nobody remembers this guy. And it was, um, LeVar Burton, (gasps) Jordy, no, no, wrong. Reading Rainbow. He started. Oh, on- yeah, of course, Reading Rainbow. I remember when he took the role of Jordy LaForge, and it took me years to get over the fact that he was not the Reading Rainbow guy anymore. Oh, I- yeah. I started. Yeah, I. All others. I love Reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow was amazing. And then. But I was probably watching at the same time because my mom's a huge Trekkie and she, Jordy is like her favorite character. So I think I just like, they're just like together in my head. It's funny because I always wanted Jordy to like bring a book out and be like, look, you know, and I say it, you know, and I just, it was so amazing to me that like, it's true. Nobody holds him up as this icon of, you know, childhood morals he's, and stuff. It was, he's always been held up in my head, at least. Right, I love him. Publicly, and I feel like we need to oh. do our best to bring it back because, all right, Jordy was fine, but like that was- Jordy was great. I was love, fine. I love his but character. Again, I just couldn't ever get over the reading rainbow thing. Yeah. Me, always. It was, I think it was just the I loved books and I loved the books he would bring up and the, I just love that show. So I think yeah. it's really telling. And I think it, it had such an impact on me this morning at like way too early o'clock. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those, like, I opened my phone this morning and, and I was like, Oh, reading rainbow. Amazing. And I just, and I realized it was true. You know, we, we publicize all these other figures for this, the same reason and we don't do it for him and I think we need to make a movement yes more reading rainbow because that shit was bomb and oh and I also want to call it like Captain Planet was phenomenal I love Captain Planet I want to be Captain Planet yes we all need to be Captain Planet really we all should be Captain Planet so when you see someone littering you go over and you smash them into the ground Make them into fertilizer. Agro when I see people litter, though. Like, I'm not. Oh my god. Okay, this is what I would see in LA. I would see this a lot in LA, and it would make me like I've wanted to follow people home before. (laughs) Do you see this thing where people will be in like a parking lot and they will shove out all their and it's always McDonald's. I don't know why they just love McDonald's. They'll shove out all their trash onto the ground and it's like a bunch of McDonald's or like also is it mostly McDonald's actually (laughs) and they'll just shove it all on the ground and then they'll just leave as if the the garbage can is just the parking lot. Well, I mean, that's a litter is a real problem in LA. I mean, I lived there, I have lived there for long enough that I don't see it. You know what I mean? Until I leave and come back. And it was my mom that first pointed it out because we were driving around and I was like, oh, look at the beach. It's pretty. She's like, there's so much litter. And I was like, oh my God, there is, you know, and then I saw it again, but you acclimatize to these things. And, you know, to I try always to- notice that. I, I never did. I always, I always noticed the litter and I was so disgusted because then I also get really enraged and then I'm like imagining the people who are littering and then I'm imagining killing them. 
And, uh, you know, I want to be Captain Planet. That's my goal in life. I want a, a really cool green mullet and big blue muscles. And I want to go around being like, you only you can save the planet, Captain Planet. True. We need to bring him back too. Yes. He was cool. He was cool. And mullets can be cool if you wear them right. All right. On that note. <laughs> on that note. Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. (laughs) It's what you take away from them. Wow. The more you know. Thank you.